18. And if you're just joining us, uh, or if you're just a guest today, uh, we have been in a series through the Gospel of John for the last 40 weeks. Um, and so you can kind of get an idea of the trajectory that we are on uh, slowly but surely to, to expositionally work our way through the Gospel of John. And so this morning we are uh, <clears throat> continuing on in chapter 7. Uh, we started last week, and, and last week as we begun our study in this chapter, we saw that in it comes new possibilities and new problems. In fact, we learned this through the growing hatred and even extreme misunderstanding about who Jesus really is. In fact, we were really confronted with false ideas and unbelief towards Jesus and about Jesus from those even who we would least expect it from. Now, we saw that the, the Jewish uh, leaders, the religious leaders, were seeking to kill Jesus since he was really a threat to their, their status and their own belief, their own traditions, that we, as we saw at the beginning of verse 1. But most surprisingly, I believe, that we found was that in verse 5, it said that Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. And then we saw, even at the end of our, our text, in verse 12 last week, that some were saying uh, good things, some were saying bad things. Some said that he was a, a good man. Others said that Jesus was someone who was leading people astray. And while all of this is going on, Jesus has not yet publicly appeared. He's gone up to the feast, the Feast of Booths, where everyone is at, but he did not do that publicly. He did so privately, as we saw in verse 10. And so what we have so far, as we've seen, are really the opinions of others about Jesus, but not the true display of Jesus himself. And so this is where we left off last week, is really examining and really considering if we ourselves are focused on the opinions of others, or are we fixed on belief in Jesus Christ? And so now as we move to verses 14 through 18 today, we begin to really see Jesus publicly declare who he is. And again, this is going to produce in them not a great longing for the Savior, but actually a great hatred for the things that Jesus is saying and what he is challenging them to do. Because Jesus is going to explain in, this, in these few verses his teaching, he's going to explain his work and even his focus. And really last week, it was a, it was a focus and look at Jesus expressing privately and this week is really a focus on Jesus explaining publicly. And then as we continue on next week in the weeks to come in chapter seven, we'll see how Jesus is exposing and even exhorting, pointing people again and again to himself. And so remember that what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying is all because he is obedient to the work of him who sent him. And so church, this means that when we look at Jesus, we see that his source and his work is true. And so what we're going to really read and, and apply in our text this morning is that Jesus points us to true doctrine, that all that he does is by God's authority and what he seeks is God's glory alone. This morning, if you're taking notes, those are your fill in the blanks from our outline 
And so we're going to read in John chapter 7, starting in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If, anyone, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent, sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you. And God, I pray that we would have a, a submission to your word. Not where we are beside your word or before your word or above your word, but where we are submitted beneath your word. That your word, all of scripture, would be the final authority in our lives. And so, God, I pray that as we seek to unpack these verses and really look further at the character of Jesus and the, the focus of Jesus and the person and work of Jesus, I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see truly, that you would soften our hearts, that we would respond to the truth of who Jesus is. And so, God, we, we love you and we thank you for this time. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so as we began our study in chapter 7 last week, we ended on verse 13. And I think it's worth noting the transition from last week to today. Because see, in verse 13, we were told that for fear of the Jews, that is the religious leaders, no one spoke openly of him, of Jesus. And then as we move into our text today, as we read in verse 14, it begins to explain that about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. Now, I think that comparison between verse 13 and 14 should really draw our attention to what we ought to really be looking to and focusing on. That it's not everyone else and everything else, but Jesus. And so see here, the reason why I find this transition between the verses so important is that we're moving from the many opinions of others and the Jewish leaders fear producing religious control to now Jesus going publicly to the temple to teach. See, what this shows us is with the Jewish leaders, you have a growing fear of man, whereas with Jesus, you have a healthy fear of God. And so this is why the first part of our outline this morning is that Jesus points us to true doctrine. See, in the middle of the hatred and the opinions and the control and even the fear, Jesus doesn't retract. Jesus doesn't go away because of hard things. Jesus presses in and he teaches. Now, it might be asked, if Jesus was trying to go up privately to the Feast of Booths and remain unseen, why did he choose to go up into the temple and teach? See, certainly the setting was right for teaching, as other rabbis would have taught there as well. But as the temple was often a place that drew large crowds, it was not a site that created privacy. 
And in this, we, we need to remember an important fact about Jesus, that the focus of Jesus's concern was not privacy, even in the earlier verses, but obedience to his father. See, this is what made him not go up to the feast when his brothers went up, as we saw in verse nine. Why he stayed in Galilee for some time, as we saw in verse 10. And why now he has gone up and begins to publicly teach in the temple. It's because of obedience to God the Father. And as he begins to teach, the religious leaders were surprised. They were surprised and they were even awed at his teaching. And in verse 15, we are told that the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? See, it's interesting that the gauge by which the religious leaders reason that Jesus has learning is not that he is from God or that he actually is divine. No, see, what they're gauging it on is by deducing that he has never learned from a rabbi or a human teacher. So Jesus has this divine teaching that is unique from their own, but in their eyes and their understanding, he's not actually divine. See, that's an interesting reasoning and understanding by the religious leaders, that they, they are marveling at his teaching and amazed at his knowledge, but still they reject him as deity. See, we've encountered this kind of thinking and this kind of reasoning from them before. See, back in John chapter five, when Jesus healed the man at the pool in verse 17 and 18, Jesus is explaining his healing ability and really defending and defining his divine authority. And the religious leaders react poorly. In fact, they really hate him because he said he was equal with God. In verse 17 of John 5, Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. And then in verse 18, we find their offense. As John the apostle writes, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling his own father, God, his own father, making himself equal with God. And so here's the interesting back and forth of their reasoning and their thinking. They're saying, listen, Jesus, we hate you. We want to kill you, but we're surprised and we're shocked and we're really challenged by you because you have a knowledge that usually only comes from someone who has learned under a human rabbi. But see, church, why does Jesus actually have this knowledge? Why does he have this learning and this ability to teach? See, ultimately, it's because his teaching is not his own. And we see this in Jesus' answer in the following verse when he responds to the religious leaders. Now, either this was a question they had asked directly, or Jesus knew what they were discussing, because in verse 16, Jesus answers them saying, my teaching is not my own, but his who sent me. Now, the word teaching in the original Greek that Jesus uses is thithahi, which means doctrine. And so Jesus is telling them, I am not pointing you to my own teaching, my own doctrine. I am pointing you to God's doctrine. And that is a very important distinction between Jesus and the religious leaders. Now, 
That word doctrine may be new to you or foreign to you, but I, what I want you to understand is this critical truth that simply put, doctrine is the foundational truths of the Christian life. Doctrine is the foundational truths of the Christian life. And so ultimately, ultimately what that means for you and I is that doctrine fuels a biblical worldview. The only way that we can have a worldview of the things of God and the working of this world and all things that are true about God is if we dedicate and devote ourselves to knowing and studying doctrine. And so see church, what I want you to grab hold of is that God has given us a clear revelation of himself in the Bible. And in it, he communicates the foundational truths of who he is, his character, his attributes, and his work, who we are apart from Christ and in Christ, and how we then are to live in light of those truths. So how do we know and learn the doctrine of God? Well, it's through the word of God. See, you will never be able to grow as a Christian if you do not know the God of the Bible and know what he says truly about you in his word. So see, the more we study true doctrine, which really just means studying the truths of the Bible. See, the more we study these things, the more we understand and know God and even ourselves. But see, if we live and we really seek to learn apart from and in opposition to true biblical doctrine, the more we run into confusion and even false doctrine. And see, that is exactly the difference between Jesus and the religious leaders in the text. They're marveling at Jesus and the way he teaches because they don't teach this way. See, this is why the transition between verse 13 and 14 is so powerful. See, what, what drives the people's understanding of Jesus in verse 13? It's the fear of man. But what drives the people's understanding of Jesus as he teaches in verse 13 or 16? It's the doctrine of God, a healthy fear of God. And so church, I, I would long for us to be discerning. We need to be discerning about what true biblical doctrine is. And in that, I have a very uh, deep concern for your soul in that that we wouldn't just be caught up in any kind of doctrine, but we would really hold firm to what true biblical doctrine is. And that's important because discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. That is what discernment is. And so listen, there are many false teachers who will even use the word of God as their support to their own doctrine but ultimately the word will not be their authority. And really that is concerning on a soul level. And so I want you to understand, this is not just an issue of Jesus's day. This is not just an issue of the rest of the New Testament. This is an issue of our day to day. I mean, in our culture, there are many false teachers and teachings on both sides of the spectrum on one hand, you have the prosperity and healing movements. On the other, you have the hyper-legalistic religious movements. And so understand, 
I'm not going to sit here all day and call out a bunch of false teachers. I want to point you to what is true because my heart is pastoral. I long to be an elder and a shepherd who cares and is concerned for your very soul. And so understand there are many teachings and teachers out there who would consider and call their message to be quote unquote Christian. But really, if we looked closer, if we really studied biblical doctrine and we had discernment, we would see how false and harmful and even contradicting to the gospel their teaching really is. And so church, not just with the desire to tell you these things, but to equip you with the truth. I, I think we need to ask some honest questions of the things we listen to, the materials we are uh, bringing in for ourselves, supplemental to the word, so that we can really discern the difference between what is right and what is almost right. What is the true gospel and what is the false teaching of the gospel? And so I want you to consider these questions. First, I think we need to consider the question, what do they say? What does that teacher say about Jesus? Is Jesus the only way to the Father or is Jesus a way to the Father? See, John 14, 6 would tell us Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So we need to ask, is Jesus the only way? Is salvation a gift and a work of God, or is it based upon your works and your merits? I think we also need to ask, is Jesus fully God and fully man? Is he truly God and truly man? Or is Jesus merely a God-man who emptied himself of his divinity? See, church, that's a false doctrine. And so we need to ask these important questions. We need to ask, do they preach the gospel in full biblical context? Do they talk about sin? Do they talk about law and grace? Do they call people to repent and believe? And is Jesus the driving point of all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation? Or are you? Who's the hero of the story? Who is the theme of every text? Is Jesus or are you? See, really all of the points of these questions come from issues that are prevalent today in, in many false teachings. And so I urge you, church, open your Bibles, examine, search, pray. That is why we begin our time every Sunday with, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. In fact, I've joked that if anybody asked, hey, how does your pastor open his sermons? Everyone would say, he would first start off by saying, hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're gonna be in this text. Why do we do that? Because we want to do everything devoted to true biblical doctrine. My opinion doesn't matter. What is true is what matters. And so church, we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning about what is false because there are things out there, there are those preaching out there, a gospel that does not line up with the Bible. But see, the greatest antidote to false teaching is a deep understanding and a deep love for the truth of the Bible, where we root ourselves in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because where false teachings and false teachers ultimately point to themselves, 
Jesus points to God's doctrine and God's will. See, he makes clear that he isn't about himself. Again, in fact, Jesus mentions many times that he has been sent to earth by his father. This is something we see all throughout the gospel of John. We see it in chapter four, verse 34, chapter five, verse 24, chapter six, chapter eight, chapter nine, chapter 11. There is a theme here that Jesus is saying, I'm not about myself. And so in fact, in verse 17, Jesus continues to say to the religious leaders, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. See, this is interesting because Jesus says, in order to know whether the source of his teaching is truly God, you must first choose to do God's will. See, to us, that seems backwards because we tend to think, prove it to me first. Prove it to me. Prove that Jesus is truly God and then I'll do what he says. But see, Jesus says, no, you must first set out to do what God commands. And then you will be able to discern if what you are hearing is truly from God. See, what that means is that in order to know and discern and understand the teaching of God, the doctrine of God, and that Jesus is speaking on the authority of God as deity, then we have to be those that obey the commands of God. But see, the, the reason the people do not recognize him for who he is does not hinge on them having enough evidence, but rather on having enough obedience. And so see, if a person is willing to obey God, they will in fact know that Jesus was sent by God and speaks God's truth. And so in other words, another way to put that is, do not seek to understand in order to believe, believe that you may understand. See, what that means is that if you come to the Bible, and I'm not talking about any other supplemental material or teacher, what I mean is coming to the Bible, coming to Jesus. If the driving motivation of coming to Jesus is in opposition then you are going to go away still in opposition to Jesus. See, that's in fact what we learned in John chapter six. And so understand this, this truth that we learned that was very sobering in John chapter two, that Jesus never commits himself to unbelief and blatant opposition. See, in this verse 17 of our text, Jesus is saying that the basic reason why people do not own up to the truth of what he teaches is not that they lack sufficient evidence, but that their wills, or, or we could even say their hearts, are ultimately against God. That the fundamental problem is not intellectual, but moral. See, the great obstacle to recognize the truth of Christ is not deficit resources, but deep rebellion against God. That people cannot see and recognize the truth of Christ's teaching because the prevailing tendency of their own will is insubordination against the authority of God and the person of God. 
And so understand the reason the people here are seeing Jesus, but they're not really seeing Jesus. And why they are hearing Jesus, but not really hearing Jesus is because of a lack of obedience and love for God. And really, this is ultimately why Jesus' authority is then questioned and denied. Again, remember as we saw last week, that in the text we have seen many claims about Jesus regarding who he is and what he does. See, this is because when we are divided on Christ, there is no confession of him or obedience to him. This is why even today, there there have been many who have said, Jesus is a good man. I identify with him on that. And why many others have said, Jesus leads people astray or he is a cult leader. That in fact, why many people don't simply believe is because they rather want to rewrite him. That they like the idea of Jesus, but they do not love him and live for him and obey him in belief. And so where there is no obedience to Jesus, there is no true biblical knowledge of Jesus or even living for Jesus. And so let me ask you today, in your living and in your own knowledge, does that show that you obey Jesus or that you are in opposition to Jesus? See, if we are in opposition to Jesus then our problem isn't a need for more information. Our need is for transformation. And that's not a head problem. That means there's a heart problem. This is why Jesus is honest and very upfront with his audience about what needs to happen. And remember, keep in mind who it is that Jesus is talking to when we talk about the need for obedience to Jesus. Jesus is not saying this to pagan unbelievers. Jesus is saying this to believing people who are in fact convinced that they are good with God. They don't see themselves as needing a heart transformation, but still what Jesus is doing in this text is he is pressing in and saying, that's exactly what you need. See, he tells them the source of his teaching is God, not himself. And that the initiative of his teaching is God's will, not his own. And so ask yourself, does does what you know and, and the way you live show that you are in a relationship with Christ where you love him and you obey him and you follow him or where you are in opposition to him? Where you just blatantly say like the people, I'm good with God. I'm good with God. See, a further sign of those in opposition to Jesus is that ultimately they seek their own authority. They seek their own glory. Really, they do this by making themselves known and really elevating themselves and even celebrating their individualism apart from Jesus Christ. But see, that's, that's a scary idea because not even Jesus seeks those things. See, what Jesus seeks is God's glory not his own. See, this is both the message and the motivation of Jesus. See, in verse 18, we continue to see Jesus tell them in the final verse of our text today that the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, 
but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. See, church, this again is the major difference between Jesus and the religious leaders. And even I think in some cases, it's the difference between Jesus and us. Because here we have the issue that exposes our own desire for authority. But also in in seeking that, it proves that the driving motivation and, and message when we're about ourselves, when we're about our own authority, our own glory, glory is it's all about me. See, this is something we do uh, all the time. And the important thing we need to understand is that that is not of God. I mean, for example, when someone gives us a piece of, of loving and constructive criticism and we become absolutely defensive and try to turn the conversation to the flaws in their own life, that doesn't come from God. And you can't tell me, especially you married couples, that you've never done that. There's often times where we go, that problem isn't me, the problem is you. Because we don't want to be addressed. We don't want to be exposed. But that doesn't come from God. I mean, even there are some times when we do this, when we are having a conversation with a person and we really slightly manipulate the conversation so it really casts a a favorable but not totally accurate light on ourselves. See, that too is speaking on our own. It's that ultimately in that, the goal and the desire and the driving motivation is to speak on our own authority and seek our own glory. And church, what Jesus actually says about that in the text is that shows falsehood in us. But see, this is not so with Jesus. This is why he said, the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. So the person who speaks on his own authority is ultimately seeking his own glory. But that's something Jesus said he did not do. In fact, Jesus says later in John chapter 8, verse 50, he tells us, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. See, Jesus didn't seek personal glory, even though he deserved it, and even though eventually he would receive it. This is the truth about who Jesus is told over and over and over and over again in the Bible. In fact, this is why the Bible's all about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And what it tells about you tells more about Jesus than it tells about you. If you we're tracking with that. See, even as we see in the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 42, we see something incredible that applies to our text in verse one and in verse eight which also is repeated in the New Testament in Matthew 12 that fulfills this as one of the many prophecies about Jesus. See, the prophet Isaiah says in verse one, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And in verse eight, it says, I am the Lord That is my name, my glory I give to no other. See, church, look at what this says about Jesus, of what he is now saying truthfully about himself. It's that he was a humble servant 
obedient to the authority of God the Father and always seeking to bring glory to God the Father. And so look further at what our text says. It's that the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. See, church, it is a comforting and beautiful thing that our text this morning tells us that Jesus is true. Jesus is true and he is trustworthy. And so let me ask you, do you want to be men and women of truth? See, Jesus says that unless a person is living and working for God's glory, they will not be a person of truth. And see, church, for some, in in order to maintain their own glory, they will hold back the truth, they will twist the truth, or even leave out parts of the truth, because ultimately, what they fear is the consequences and the reactions of man, not the true and healthy fear of the Lord. But see, it's important to understand, only when God's glory is above everything, everything else will a person do the hard things and speak the truth. And when I say speak the truth, I mean in love because it brings no glory to God if we just run our mouths. And so church, until we get to the point when our honor, our glory, our focus, our praise from others isn't what drives us, but God's honor and glory alone is, we will not be a person of truth. Now, you may believe in the truth and study the truth, but if you do not live it and stand for it, then you are not a person of truth. And so you may even speak the truth at times or even most of the time, but I think even in that, it kind of shows that the times when we speak the truth selectively shows more that we're about speaking the truth when it serves us. I mean, even to illustrate this, just consider how often you may post things about the truth and about Christianity on Facebook, but how often you may stay silent among your coworkers and your unchristian friends. That's a confusing dichotomy. That baffles me because we claim great things on social media as a place where we can be passive and walk away, and yet we do not confess the truth to those who need to hear it most. Church, that's not what a person of truth does. What a person of truth does is they speak the truth in love, in every situation, because in every situation, They are working for the glory of him to whom glory is due. Not them, but God alone. And so listen, I want you to understand, if you are someone who is a member of this church, that's what we need to be about. That's what we need to be about. See, if we're Bible-believing, God-doctrine-loving people, then that means where we began in, in one of the first weeks of this teaching series, when we saw that Jesus is full of grace and truth, that we don't try to mess that up and move it all around, that we don't try to be those with a hammer holding truth all the time, or those just being about grace and being all passive. No, we seek to be like Jesus Christ that we would be full of grace and truth, speaking the truth in love in such a way that we would seek to bring glory to God the Father. 
And I, I understand one of the most difficult things about that is that it's costly. And if you don't know that, understand it's costly. I mean, this means that where we are not ashamed of the gospel, we can and most likely will be shamed for the gospel. See, if we don't get that into our head, then we're going to have a confusion between God and us anytime we meet opposition or suffering. So listen, believers of the Lord Jesus Christ are those that are not ashamed of the gospel, but definitely they might and probably will be shamed for the gospel. See, you can be a person of truth and still be called a liar and still be hated. Remember, that's exactly what is happening with Jesus in the text. That some of the people in the very crowd were accusing him of being a deceiver. But see, regardless of what others think and what others say, what we are to seek is God's glory alone. That just like Jesus did, we need to seek to be speaking the truth in love. See, the, the words of this verse 18 not only confirm that Jesus is a man of truth, that he is God in the flesh speaking truth and is trustworthy, but really what they also display is the real reason why his opponents are unable to understand him rightly. It is that where they pride themselves on being their own, speaking on their own and having their own self-worth, they ultimately speak and they act and they focus on gaining glory and praise for themselves. But see, Jesus is the complete opposite of that. He is completely committed to working for the honor and the glory of the one who sent him. And see, as a result what we learn is that he is good and he is true. That he is neither a false teacher or a culturally respected religious leader with mixed motives, but that he is trustworthy. See, if Jesus were simply trying to persuade others to his views, really then he would seek whatever means seemed most effective because that's in fact what false teachers do. They don't say the hard truths in love. They draw you by exactly what you want to hear. But see, he has utterly rejected those methods because he is about his father's agenda. And so in this, we have seen Jesus clearly explain who he is. That publicly he has told the people who he is and what he is about. But still, the people are going to reject and hate him. And so just as we saw, some say he's a good man. Others are saying he is a deceiver and they're back and forth on who he is. And Jesus has now said, here's who I am. And what we'll learn in the following week in verse 20 is that their response is, you have a demon. We don't like who you are. We don't receive who you are. And so church, as we come to a close this morning, I want to ask you to consider today, what do you say? What do you say about the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you someone who, who walks in and, and claims, man, God and I are good. We're good. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but then you're presented with a, 
a situation where you may be shamed for the gospel, and you're like, that's too far. I don't think so. See, we need to ask, will we stand and confess Jesus Christ as Lord? Among those who hate us, among those who find us weird, among those who disagree with us, because confessing Christ is both with our lives and with our mouths. And so make no mistake, it's doing both. And so church, do you have a deep longing and love for Christ? Then root yourself in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Confess and believe in him whom the Father has sent. See, the the difference between those that confess the truth and those who reject it is really based upon one single fact. It is that those who confess Jesus as Lord are those that submit to him and are obedient to him. And so as we come to a close this morning, the question really before us is, are we seeking ourself or are we seeking the Savior? What is the driving motivation of our living, of what we know, of who we are? Is, that, is it that we're seeking ourselves or is it that we are seeking the Savior, Jesus Christ? So I encourage you, church, to ask that question because we find in the text and we'll continue to see that the people are going to reject it but those that confess it are those that lay aside themselves. They pick up their cross daily and they follow after the Savior, Jesus Christ. So what are you seeking? What are you focused on? You, yourself, or the Savior? Let's pray.